I was standing on a stage just like this a little over 10 years ago when God began to get my attention about what was ahead for me and, of course, the life of our family. At the time, Shauna and I had been married eight years. We had three sons, ages five, three, and one. And we began to get this sense that God was leading us away from my teaching pastor position in the Midwest to move to a major metropolitan area with the explicit purpose of not only raising our kids, but starting a church that didn't yet exist. When we thought about those metropolitan areas, there were five places where we considered. New York, Boston, Chicago, San Diego, and San Francisco. Out of all five of those cities, San Francisco was the only city that I had never been to in my life. I'd been to all four of the other ones, loved all four of the other ones. I had never been here. And yet, whether we were researching, whether we were praying, if we were having conversations with friends and occasionally even strangers, San Francisco came up over and over and over. And so we began to conclude that indeed God was leading us to San Francisco to start a brand new church, whatever that meant. Now, when we said San Francisco, let me tell you what I meant. You know how when you're on an airplane and you get in a conversation with someone next to you and you say, where are you from? And they say, San Francisco. To which you say, that's really cool. Me too. What part of the city do you live in? To which they say, I actually live in a town that's an hour and 20 minutes, but I just said San Francisco so that you could relate to the general area. When I said San Francisco over 10 years ago, that's honestly what we all meant in the beginning because we thought from the Midwest to the Bay Area is enough. We could not do the city. And so Shauna and I, along with two other couples, Lindsay and Ben Lee, were one of those couples, and Tim and Kristen Milner, who are no longer here, we began to pray for 50 days. God, would you show us, we literally could afford a four-day trip to the Bay Area. Uh, the six of us shared a room, but we don't need to get into all of that. <laughs> we prayed for 50 days. God, over the four days that we're in the Bay Area, we'll choose a different area, north, you know, south, uh, east and in the city, and we are asking you to show us where it is you want us to move our family with these three small boys and to start this church from scratch. And so on day, uh, day one was November 30th, 2008. Day 50 was Sunday, January 18th, 2009. And after I spoke at my church that morning, got on a flight, Shauna and I, we met the other two couples who flew in from two different states. We met that night and we literally asked God to show us during those four days, where would you have us move and start this brand new church. I do not recommend everything we did on that trip. I do recommend asking God to show you something specific because he heard our prayers and he convinced us of what he had for us next. Wednesday, January 21st, we had seen what we needed to see. We pulled the car over on our way to have dinner with friends and one by one, the six of us unanimously said something like this, I'm surprised, I didn't expect it, I'm afraid, but it's obvious God's calling us not just to San Francisco, but to the downtown corridor in San Francisco to which we've been from our very inception as a church. And so to Thursday, January 22nd, the first day in our entire lives that we woke up knowing that this was the commitment we were making with our entire lives, flying on a plane back to the Midwest, realizing that these little human beings who haven't started school yet, their lives are about to be disrupted forever. Guys, that was Thursday, January 22nd, 2009. Just to prove it to you because of what I'm about to tell you, let me show you my Southwest flight receipt from that day. January 22nd. Nonstop out of SFO to Kansas City International Airport. 
There it is. Just so you know what happens in 10 years, I had to retrieve this through my Yahoo email account. <laughs> January 22nd, 2009, on a plane, headed home, wondering what in the world did we just commit ourselves to. Fast forward 10 years to this past Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, Shauna's very first book with a major publisher was released on this day. And, and every one of you, you're getting a copy, one per family today, so you'll get that on your way out, even if you're not going to read it, just for our own insecurity, her insecurity. Make, just, just act like you're going to. Tell her you can't wait to get into it, even if you never do. Give it to someone else. What most people don't know is that Shauna's book was supposed to release either in March or April. What I didn't know is that as an author, especially a first-time author, you don't get to choose the release date. What I didn't know is that books always release on a Tuesday, and it just so happened that January 22nd, 2019 just so happened to be a Tuesday. Now, you tell me, wherever you're at in your faith journey, you don't yet believe in God, you're trying to come back, but you're not sure, you wish you had faith, why don't you tell me this? What are the chances, what are the chances, the 10 years to the date of that initial yes, January 22nd, 2009, that her book telling the story of the last 10 years would come out? What are the chances? Like, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, but if you want to lean into it and you're like, I just need a sign, isn't that a sign that God is at work? We had no clue what that yes would look like. Looking back 10 years, we're like, oh my gosh. This week has been amazing for our family to root on their mom, for me to root on my wife. It's been a huge deal to see who's posted about it. It's been amazing to get reviews for, to her from all around the nation as well as other nations. Super fun week for us. We're excited to team teach for these next four weeks in the Love Where You Live series here at Epic, but I'm also extremely excited for you because we're just regular people believing in a miraculous God to lead us into whatever he wants us to do. And you can be a part of that story. God's been writing a story in your life like he has our lives from the very beginning. And I want you to get in on that because here's what you have to know. No matter how you got here, regardless of how long you've been here, whether you live in Soma or the Mission or the Richmond or the Marina or Noe Valley or Pack Heights or the Tenderloin, if you love this city or you hate this city, if you anticipate being gone in the next couple of months or you consider yourself now to be a lifer here, it is not by random chance that God has all of us here at the same time, in the same place, and even in the same church. Do you agree? Yeah. So if I were to ask you why are you here if I were to ask you why are you here, you would give me all kinds of reasons, and you have. Ben, we're here because this is the place to make it in the entrepreneur world. Ben, I'm here because my spouse said they had to take a job here, and so I just had to kind of come along. Otherwise, we couldn't stay married. Ben, I'm here because it's the best grad school in the area, or it's the only grad school that let me into their PhD program. Ben, I'm here because I love paying maximum price for minimum space. <laughs> Ben, I'm here because I genuinely love the arts here. I love the area that I can be to Yosemite and Tahoe and Napa Valley within four hours unless it's you know, going at the wrong time. Like, I love this. I love the food here. Who wouldn't, right? I love everything about this place. But why are you really here? To answer that question, would you give my wife, Shauna, a huge welcome as she comes to answer that question? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I love my regular spot right here on the front row with the kids, but it is an honor and a privilege to stand in this spot today and to look out at all of you. 
I don't know how Ben does it. I cannot promise that you won't distract me. But um, one of our kids this week, he and I were talking about my nerves getting up to speak today. And he gave me some great wisdom that I want to tell you. He said, Mom, just remember that what you have to say, people need to hear. And then he also told me not to focus on the bad things that could go wrong, but to focus on what will go right. So this morning, I am telling you, I am believing God that he has something we need to hear and that there's going to be a lot of good that comes from the decisions that you are going to make today. People ask me, and I know they ask you, what brought you to San Francisco? What do you do here? How long have you lived here? And I've got really good answers, legitimate ones. But when you strip everything away, I am here and you are here because God sent you here. If you believe that God has all power and all authority and all control, you have to believe this about him. He cares for you, which means he cares where you live. We're going to individually make a choice today as we talk about intersections. Whether you're going to lean in and step forward and believe that God truly has a purpose for you being in San Francisco, or you're going to turn back in disbelief. Now, maybe you're surprised that this is where you live. Maybe you're sad that you live in San Francisco. Maybe you're apathetic. You're already numb to the culture and its values and its people. Perhaps you're certain that you are right where you're supposed to be. Or maybe the idea of a place having a purpose in your life has never been a thought before. Well, the Israelites that we're going to talk about today had the same mixed bag of emotions. Surprise, sadness, apathy, certainty, and lacking purpose and direction. I'm going to start us out in good company with the Israelites, but then we're going to take a different direction. Is everybody on board with this? Back there, you on board with this? Okay. I'm going to tell you an historical account, and we're going to use our hindsight vision to look back at the intersection that the Israelites found themselves in, and then we're going to make a choice for ourselves. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Deuteronomy is a retelling by Moses of the events that took place in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He is reminding the Israelites of God's faithfulness, and he's reminding them of the blessing that is found in obedience. The part of the retelling that we're going to look at today, it does find the Israelites at an intersection. God has something good for them, and they had to decide, are we going to step into it, or are we going to turn back? So if you'll open up to Deuteronomy 1 and stand with me, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8, 27 through 33, and 40. Starting in verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, verse 27, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. 
They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, this is Moses, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on this journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And finally, verse 40. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. You may be seated. And may God bless the reading of his word. God speaks through Moses to his people. He tells them, see, I have a good land for you. I want you to go in. I want you to meet your neighbors. I want you to take possession of the land. This is the intersection for the Israelites to believe that God will be with them as he has been in the previous places that they've lived. God cares about you. He cares about where you live and he cares about where you're going. Next week, we're gonna discuss place. But for this week, why is God important to where we live? To love where you live, to love where God has called you, you've got to see this equation up on the screen. It is God plus place plus you plus all of us will give us a love for where we live. If you want to know where we're going the next four weeks, this is it. But let me tell you, if you only see one of these elements, if you only see one, you're going to miss out. Now, I can testify, even over 10 years, it takes time for this to all come together. It takes time. But this equation is necessary to thrive here. You can survive in San Francisco without knowing God. People are doing it today. You can survive here without liking your work, without meeting your neighbors, without connecting to community. You're just not going to thrive here. And we want to see you thrive. And I believe you would have shown up today if that wasn't something that you also wanted. So again, here we are at the intersection. Will you put your faith in God? Will you believe that he has good for you here? Yes, it is hard and it is unknown. But I can think of a million reasons why God can be trusted. God is here with you at this intersection. Ben shared the intersection moment for us, January 22nd, 2009. Still astounds me. But there was an intersection a few months prior to that before we made that initial trip out here. And I want to read, I want to read that to you. Ben swallowed the very words God had given us for this teaching series as he spoke to our church. It was a challenge for him. Challenges can be presented in your face or they can start with a stir move to an urge or prompting, then wreck the soul. I think that God was gradually using Esther's life to challenge Ben. He let the stirring simmer in his own heart before approaching me with it. When Ben and I knew we would marry, we agreed to chase God anywhere around the world. Now, Ben did what any respectable husband would do. He asked me to pray about it. It didn't affect just him anymore, but also me and the kids. 
in his soul, he was certain he was hearing God calling us to make a risky move to start a church in an unreached city in America. What? Huh? In the moment, I forgot about our agreement. We had just arrived in April, and he had prepared the Esther series through the summer and started teaching it in November. I'm pretty sure we still had a few boxes left to unpack. Our oldest child was five, and we had already toured the high school where he would play baseball. It wasn't time to go. So I took this to the source of all the commotion. God, I thought I heard Africa when I was a fourth grader. I don't recall us talking about great American cities. Well, I had been 10 years old at the time. Maybe my recall was a bit blurry. I took the next 10 days to pray about it amid normal life with three littles. My prayers weren't long or deep, but they were raw and his peace was clear. Ben and I knew others could come and do the job of being a teaching pastor of a thriving missional church in the Midwest. But the call for unreached strategic cities, that call was for us. There usually are a number of intersections in life, right? And God is with us at them all. You've got to see God in this place with you. He makes all the difference. If you were to look back at Deuteronomy 1 and highlight the promises that he made with the Israelites, believe that he's made those same promises to us. He gives us the land. He goes before us. He fights for us. He carries us. He shows us the way we should go. I believe that he is doing a fresh work in us that is present and it's for the future. God encourages us to look back, but he never intended for us to turn back. So look back without going back. There is nothing wrong with each of us looking back over our lives and reflecting on that. In fact, that can be healthy in all kinds of ways. Do you know this? But there's a kind of looking back that can keep us stuck in the past and cause us to miss out on what is and what will be. Looking back can have this amazing ability to remind us of God's power, his faithfulness, his presence, and his provision in our lives. And when you look back in that way to be reminded of what he's done, that actually fuels your faith to step into what he has for you in the future. But you guys, there's another way in which we look back that causes us to crave to go back. And when you and I start craving something from before, when you crave the previous job, when you crave the previous season, when you and I begin to crave the place we used to call home, it's as if we look at familiarity as though it's best for us. The Israelites literally believed that God had freed them from their slavery in Egypt so that he might kill them somewhere else. You, if you're an eternal pessimist, you know how you live. You're like, you finally get one good thing happening and you know God's gonna smite you around the corner. Like that is their outlook in life. Instead, they, they refuse to believe that God's heart is for them and that it's good for them and for their future and for their family and for their entire community. They, they refuse to believe that God's got good in store. They could have looked back in a way that caused them to say something like this to each other. Listen, if God can free us from our slavery in Egypt under the rule and reign and the oppression of that taskmaster Pharaoh where we got no rest, where we had no decisions we ever got to make on our own, if he can free us from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, surely he can bring us into the land he's promised to give us, don't you think? And by the way, one of the reasons why we encourage you to sign up for an epic group is because there are all... Uh, for all of us, there are days where we doubt and we need someone at the table or in the living room or in this room with us going, hey, remember, God has been faithful. I wanna encourage you to continue to trust he will be. 
We, we need that stuff in our lives. You see, um, the, the issue wasn't uh, that God didn't have a good plan for them. God had an amazing destination for them, but they began to be led more by their fears than by their faith, and they crave familiarity, not knowing that craving familiarity will keep you and I from stepping into the future that God's wanting to write for each of our stories and our epic story collectively. We've got to be able to do something. You'll see this on the screen, but to step into what God has for us, we must be willing to leave what's become familiar to us. To step into what God has for us, we must It's an absolute. You don't have it both ways. We must be willing to leave what's become familiar to us. Now, I know we live in a land of, Ben, I want it all. Don't we? And what so many of us are trying to do is we want to clutch onto the future while still being attached to the past. And you can't do that. You're not in either place if you try to do that. You've actually got to let go of what was so that you can step into God's what is and what he wants to be in the days and years to come. You've got to be able to do that. Abraham never would have become a father to many nations if he refused to leave the familiarity of his homeland. Nehemiah never would have gone to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall until he could first leave his familiar post as being cupbearer to the king in Persia. And do you remember those first century disciples of Jesus? Whenever the gospel writers tell us about what they had to do to get in on his mission and adventure that he offered them. What did they have to do? They had to leave the, it starts with an F, ends with an Ilyar. They had to leave the familiar, right? If you read the gospel writers, it says things like they left their vocation. One author, author says they left their boats on the shore and they just went. Another one, I believe it's in Mark's gospel, he says they left everything to follow him. If you're going to get in on what Jesus has for you, you will have to leave something familiar. It's always been the story of the people of God. And the people who get in on what God has for them are the ones who are willing to leave behind. Listen, now it looks easy for us to have said yes to San Francisco. You beautiful people are here. We're filling up this room. It's an awesome day. It's incredible to see crowds at all three hours. That's going to happen today. We didn't say yes to this. Like, but Ben, this is easy. You guys have an online presence. We didn't say yes to an online campus. But Ben, we've given $1.5 million away to city and global partners over the last less than eight years. That's amazing. We didn't say yes to this. But Ben, you had 20 churches support you guys when you moved out. We said yes before there was a dollar of funding, before our kids sat of school, before we had a home, before we had a church space. You'll have to do the same. For us, we had to actually acknowledge what we were walking away from. And it is okay to acknowledge it, guys, and it is okay to grieve. At the time, if you would have consulted us on this, 90% of you probably would have said, what are you doing? We're in a four-bedroom house, brand new, neighborhood pool and everything. (laughs) Our son's going to an incredibly safe and high academic school, and his kindergarten teacher promises to move up with the entire class for first grade. I'm getting paid full-time salary just to teach a sermon a week. I had zero leadership responsibilities. Zero. I'm preaching to 1,000 people every single Sunday. I'm 31 years old, and as far as career trends go in the church world, I'm on my way up. And we needed to acknowledge what is it that we're walking away from. And so we got a yellow lined notebook paper out, two columns. On one column, what are we willing to give up? On the other column, what's not negotiable? Two things weren't negotiable, our marriage and our kids thriving. Everything else was up to God. We're willing to walk away from it all. But do you think we talk about these last 10 years as sacrifice or as blessing? Do you know who we met in the last 10 years? 
Do you know what God's done in the last 10 years? Do you know about our daughter who's come home who would have never came home if we didn't come here first? Do you know about this book that just came out? When you say yes, it's amazing what can happen. Even think about how Jesus had to leave his familiar environment in heaven in order to accomplish the mission of his heavenly father. Now, I know some of you are like, Ben, the place that I've moved from is so different than San Francisco. Try making the move from a heavenly throne to an earthly stable. I know, you, but Ben, you don't know the town I came from. I, I, it's okay. Throne, stable, throne, stable. Being worshipped, being dependent on your mom for food. It's a quite a transition that Jesus was willing to make. And we've got to make the same transition as well. Shauna, a moment ago, referenced that there are constantly going to be intersection moments. And I wish that starting this church was the only intersection we had in the last decade. But what we found out is when you move forward after one intersection moment, you get a chance to do it over and over and over again. And because that's your story, and it's all of our story that we're going to have these intersection moments, I want to give you a verse that from the very beginning of our days in San Francisco, I rallied my life around, I rallied our family around, and I rallied this church around. It's the last verse in Hebrews 10, leading up to that great faith chapter of Hebrews 11, and here's what it says. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. I know we want lots of categories, guys. At the intersection, there's only two. You're either a part of those who shrink back and are destroyed, or those who step forward in faith and get in on what God has for them. How are you going to play it? How are you going to play it? And just so you know, we're asking ourselves that question now, this week, with all the excitement, all the reaping that's happening in our lives right now, we said to each other, hey, what is it we want to say yes to this week that in 2029, we're glad we did? We're all on a trajectory. What's yours? Hebrews 3.19, speaking about these people from Deuteronomy 1, it says this about them, and I don't want you to miss it. It says, so we see, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Do you know that the journey from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, was supposed to take 11 days? 11-day journey. Guys, they spend 40 years in the wilderness, and most of them never set foot in the land. Not that they had to figure out a way to get their own, the land that God was giving to them. Here's a question for you. I want it to capture your heart. I'm okay if it stings a little bit because it's worth it. How many times... How many times do we miss out on what God wants to bring us into? How many times do we miss out on what God wants to bring us into? I can only imagine what we would have missed out on this last decade if we had not said yes. Maybe even some of you might have missed out on some things if we had not said yes. What have you missed out on? Here's what I know about my life. I've missed out way too much and I'm resolute about not missing out anymore. You've missed out way too much, and my encouragement to you, I don't care what the job says, I don't care how hard it is, I don't care what your plan is, my encouragement to you is be resolute about what God has for you, because here's what I've got to let you know. God isn't back where you used to be, and God isn't with you where you think you will be one day. He's with you right here. So church, it's time for us to decide that we are not going to miss out. In fact, we are going to get in on what God has for us at this time, in this place, with these people. What image does come to your mind as you look back at how God has worked in your life? Do you have an image? Even if you've yet to believe in Jesus, there have been supernatural events that have taken place that have gotten your attention. Those events, those moments, those images are a reminder that God is at work in you. I want to show you an image that comes to my mind when I look back at how I've seen God work in my life. 
This is a picture of the South Park Playground in Selma. Any of you remember when it looked like this? This was back in 2010. A few of you? The wooden beams. Well, I remember taking the boys in a stroller. This is the very first park we had found living down here in Selma. And I remember taking them only to realize we had to wait our turn. The slides and the swings were filled with 20-somethings on their lunch break, eating their foiled-wrapped burritos. But they eventually had to go back to work, and, and the kids got to play. But now I want you to look at this picture of the same playground now. It looks different. These pictures, these two pictures, are a reminder to me that had we turned back and not walked forward, we would have missed out on what God had for us. What is that picture for you? No, God's not building playgrounds here in San Francisco. But you know what? He's building community. And he's bringing peace. And he's bringing people here. And he's got your days planned out. And he is ready for your obedience. He is ready for your trust. Looking at these pictures, this playground will never go back and look like it used to look. And some of you need to hear that truth today. God is doing something new and fresh in you and your family. And it's time to move forward for what God has in store. If God is ascending God, you have to understand that once he calls you to the intersection, he's going to be with you on the other side of the intersection. Because I believe this, breakthrough happens on the other side of the intersection. Breakthrough happens on the other side of the intersection. If he's ascending God, he doesn't wave us on. He moves with us. We step out to trust and obey. He fulfills his promises. The very ones that are in Deuteronomy 1 of carrying us, going before us, fighting for us. He sends us. We live sent. To live sent is to live like we're supposed to be here. To live like God really does have a plan and purpose for us being here. Deuteronomy is Moses' words, but Joshua does something very similar in recounting all the way back to Abraham, how good God is to his people who will trust him and obey him and walk with him having no other gods. Now, I don't know why Joshua gets a book named after him and Moses gets stuck with Deuteronomy, but nevertheless, we're going to read Deuteronomy 24, and I want you to see what God promises will happen on the other side of this intersection. Let's look at verses 14, or excuse me, 13 through 15. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. Sound familiar? And you live in them, and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. That's just right up the road. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Here's the intersection. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We are all serving something here in San Francisco. Does your past have a grip on you? What your parents believe? Your family religion? 
Or have you moved here not knowing what you believe, so you have just begun to pick and take from what this city believes? It's going to show up in everything we do. We are either making fear-based decisions or faith-based decisions. Fear-based or God-forgetful. Faith-based or God-trusted. Can you imagine what would happen if we, the collective people of God, said what Joshua said in 24? We are here because God has us here, and we are going to follow and serve the God who has called us. He will be our God, and we will follow his ways. We're going to make decisions with integrity at work. And even when it's inconvenient, we are going to meet our neighbors. We're going to live lives with purpose. And we're going to choose to believe that by saying yes, that breakthrough is going to be on the other side of this intersection. I believe this. If we will love God, he will give us a love for the people and this place. You remember Moses' story He did not grow up. He had a very different upbringing than where he was raised, where he was living. He was being raised by the people in the palace in Egypt. But he would be the one that would lead his own people group away from the people in the palace. I don't know about you, but I have a love for San Francisco, even though I wasn't born and raised here. It's still a growing love. The Israelites, whether they were in Egypt or Canaan, the desert or the wilderness... God wanted them to love him above everything else, above their families, above their possessions, above their country. They could thrive under God's hand and under his provision, even though they were surrounded by enemies and they were living in a new place. So how do we actually love? We do it little by little. You do not have to overwhelm yourself tonight by throwing a dinner party for your entire floor or your whole street. It starts with a hello. Even that sometimes seems like a lost art. You start a conversation with the person serving you lunch today. You say hello to the mailman or the Uber driver. You encourage that new dad at work. You invite someone to come next week. They get a free book. While we must make a personal decision to step in and through this intersection. I want you to look around. This room is full and you're still looking at me. Look around, look around. This room is full and it's still early on in 2019 where we can look forward even just into this year at what God might do with the people in San Francisco who say, yes, we believe and we are going to trust the God with our future. Let's let these be the stories. We're sharing our story. We love sharing our story. But you need to share your story with people around you and let these chairs be filled with the people who already call San Francisco home and those who have yet to move here because you have stepped into your purpose. It's time for us to look forward together, to step out into this intersection. Guys, you know it already. It's not a secret to us. We are living in a really good land And it is not by accident that we are here. We are are going to choose to remember what he's done in the past and let that be the faith that fuels us for what's ahead. We've seen God start a church here. There are over a thousand different people that attend Epic every month. We've seen housing miracle after housing miracle. God has given us favor at our schools and in our jobs and in our neighborhoods. Christians are choosing to stay and churches are being planted. As you've heard today, the big idea is that God is a sending God. But perhaps for you, 
He has sent you to San Francisco so that you would return to him or so that you would find him for the very first time. God wants you to know that he has sent you here so that you would find him. And I know that maybe it's been anything but a straight path to get here. And maybe there was a lot of pain and confusion leading up to this. But I really believe that God has a purpose for you being here today. You see, when he put this vision on our heart 10 years ago to start this church, he knew you'd be here. He knew we would all be here today. He had us on our mind. God is that strategic and he is that loving. This is an intersection. This is an intersection for you to return to God and say yes today or to say yes to him for the very first time. If this is your intersection moment, when this service is over, do not walk out the main doors of this church without first stopping in the lobby and getting a resource bundle for our team. That bundle is going to help you for what's on the other side of the yes that you're going to declare to Jesus today. I'm going to ask right now for our worship team to come up and for the rest of us to close our eyes. We're at an intersection right now, every one of us. Whether you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time or today, you know that he wants you to return to him. For the rest of us here, it's time to say yes, believing that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for you being here, and it's not by accident. Saying yes to God today, it will change the trajectory of your family, of your work, and your experience in this city. Will you? Will you say yes? God, my answer is yes. And Epic, this is not just a verbal answer. This is an action answer. During this song, as our worship team leads us, you might literally need to tap your feet to the music. Maybe even march at your seat. The people beside you will not think you're crazy. They know that you're saying yes to God and to what he's got for you. Will you say yes? Will you move through this intersection? Let us stand right now and let us experience breakthrough. Go ahead and stand up. Let us stand right now and experience breakthrough that is on the other side of us saying yes to him through this song.